Hi, I'm Tim. This is We're Only Human, a podcast celebrating the resiliency of the human spirit. I think one of the best ways for each of us to grow as people is by learning from each other. If you enjoy today's episode, please rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever app you're listening from. We're not perfect. We're not alone. We're only human. Today I'm chatting with Eve Simon, who is a designer and the founder of Eve Simon Creative, uh, a, your own business where you help other businesses tell their stories. And um, and you just recently started that business, right? Yep. I uh, this fall actually, probably in November. Oh my gosh! Well, congratulations. That's I'm sure super exciting, but also probably a little intimidating. Especially since it wasn't by choice. <laughs> Um, I left a job of about 13 years in October and tried to figure out, you know, applying for jobs and had some friends who wanted some work done because I was free now and it just sort of came up organically. Yeah. And 2019 seems like uh, one hell of a year for you. Um, And I'm (laughs) really excited to chat about it because I think, um, you know, you, you seem to be a very persistent person who... Um, what I've noticed, and you've written a bunch of blog posts, I think it was on Medium. Um, first off, I really enjoy your writing style. I think you have such a, it's it's the kind of style I love and the style I write in, very um, succinct, human, conversational, um, kind, kind of just in my mind how we talk like out loud. Um, and you also have such a positive voice. Um, you know, some of the things I'm reading... Uh, you know, about this past year for you, uh, you, you were diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. Do you say, is it sclerosis? It's sclerosis. It's um, shortened to MS. So it's multiple, really what the sclerosis part of it is, they call it, it's called scars. So if you really translate it, it's multiple scars because you get them in your brain and your spinal cord. They're just sort of little gaps in your nerve endings. And so that causes a disruption in whatever part of your body those disruptions happen. So if it if it impacts your mobility, gotcha. then, then you know then you're going to have a hard time walking. If it impacts your eyesight, MS is very specific. Sorry, very unique to each person. Some people will have no mobility problems. Some people will have you know immediately in a wheelchair. Some people will go blind. Some people have cognitive issues, and really, it's a little bit of a grab bag. A little bit for everybody. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, and in you know part of what. I was reading that you wrote about was dealing with the continuation of, you know, multiple MS. Um, and like I said, just such a positive voice. So I, I really enjoy your writing style. Um, Thank you. I try. I mean, you mentioned, you mentioned conversational. I, I've been writing on and off since I was a teenager in composition books, you know, all the angsty teenage prose that you do in one of those little black and white composition books. And I just had piles and piles of them. And as I've, you know, I'm not a trained writer. I'm not a trained designer, really. And I just like to write like I talk pretty much. So um, I'll edit the heck out of it. But if it starts to sound like something that I wouldn't say, I'll actually rewrite it and say this has to be something that's authentic to me. I love that. I love that you write like like we say, because like I said, I really enjoy that kind of style. Thank Let you. me ask you just because I don't fully understand and... um MS, it is a, it affects your nerves. Is that like, I'm, I'm not a fully familiar with like what it does. Is it 
degenerative to your nervous system? It is. So it's one of those diseases. I was diagnosed in 2009. Um, so it's been just over 10, 10 and a half years at this point. And it is a disease of the central nervous system. They call it an autoimmune disease, but that includes, that's a wide range of things. You can get lupus, you know, AIDS is an autoimmune disease, but that pretty much means that your um, immune system attacks your central nervous system. <laughs> So something happens where a virus gets across what they call the blood-brain barrier and that it enters your nervous system. <laughs> and, and it can take years before you find out it happened. It's one of the most difficult diseases to actually diagnose because you have to rule almost everything out. Some people can take years. For me, I think I'd had it for a number of years and my neurologist, it took her about a month. You know, she asked some some questions. I found out that I probably had a couple of attacks 10 years before that I didn't know what to call. Um, and so whatever happens is your your immune system gets supercharged and takes over your central nervous system. And that can cause vertigo. It can cause your eyesight can go out. It can cause mobility problems. Really just depends what it wants to do. But it is a degenerative disease, so it's progressive. Um, the drugs that they give you these days, they say are meant to slow it down. And there's a couple ways to slow it. Um, if you have an attack, they call it a relapse, more or less. It means some some new symptom or some old symptom has reared its ugly head for a period of time, and they can treat you for it. But if you can stay off, stay out of those relapses, the disease just is. And it's never going to stay exactly the same, but the medication can hopefully keep it slowly progressing like it is for me. I mean, I'm 10 years in and it's starting to change a little bit, but it it's, you know, there are people I know who've been diagnosed with a, a very, very difficult form of MS called primary progressive. And it's like you fall off a cliff. Like one day you're okay and the next day you're not. So I will knock on wood and be grateful that, that it's a slower progress for me. Um, but it is something just to sort of, I know it's, it's going to change. I know that, uh, you know, if drugs keep getting better, Hopefully I will stay using a cane. Right now I use a cane to get around because my right leg is the most impacted. My right foot is what they call drop foot. So it doesn't, um, like when you're trying to drive a car and your foot goes up and down, mine won't do that. So that's, oh, wow. that's the bit. Yeah. That's the biggest change. It started that way when I got diagnosed and it never sort of came back. And this year, and I mentioned it in that writing, you talked about my neurologist, said that I had a touch of secondary progressive, which she was pretty much referring to the fact that what happened to my foot isn't going to unhappen, <laughs> that that is what she calls sort of a permanent souvenir, that if I can exercise it and I can keep taking the medication, hopefully I can continue to slow the progression down, but it'll never get back to normal. And that's, you know, that's a bummer. There are, there are sort of three kinds of MS they tell you not to Google it when you get diagnosed because the the people who are writing out there and that who are on forums and stuff, those are the people who have like the worst possible way or they can't handle it or they're always going to complain about it. And it was the wisest thing she ever told me to do. Um, now that I'm 10 years in, occasionally I'll Google something and say, okay, well, what is secondary progressive versus what you initially get diagnosed with, which is called relapsing remitting. So it's sort of like you have an attack and then remission and then an attack, and then remission. Um, where I'm at right now, I'm sort of in between this fuzzy world between that and what they call secondary progressive, which means you don't get any more attacks. It's just slow progression. <laughs> so it's hard to know which is, you know, I just had, I just had my 
MRIs for the last, I guess, two years, I had brain and spine, the whole set, um, and I hadn't had them in a while. So we did it again. And the good news is nothing changed. The bad news is that confirms that it's secondary progressive because I don't have any new attacks. So it's a confusing disease. I, I don't blame you for being confused about how it works. Yeah, I've just never, I've heard, you know, I've heard of people that have it and I've just never been fully familiar with with what it was. How, so, so 10 and a half years ago, you get diagnosed. Um, what's going through your mind at that time? I mean, did, was this something <laughs> where, like you mentioned, your leg was affected? Was it something that started to show signs and you suspected this? Or was this a totally out of left field diagnosis? Left field, not only left field. Um, I don't know if you ever watched the West Wing and I'm a West Wing fanatic, but the president has MS. <laughs> And he's diagnosed in the first season. And they, you know, having now been diagnosed, I can look back and go, oh, they got it right. But that's the only thing I knew about MS. Um, and then actually, maybe five years before I got diagnosed, my then husband's ex-wife was diagnosed. So then he had two wives who had MS. And I said it was his fault. But, you know, that didn't go over well. <laughs> uh, um so that's all I knew about MS. And I was actually at a conference. I was at South by Southwest Interactive and I was having a hard time walking and my leg was just sort of dragging behind me and I was tired and I just thought that I was overworked. We were, my company, we ran a lounge there. So I was working really hard and I was walking a lot and I came home and I thought that I just needed to rest and recover. And one night in the middle of the night, um, I got what I thought was a Charlie horse and it was actually in my left leg, in my good leg. And when I woke up in the morning, my whole leg from my butt to my toe was numb. Like, I don't even know, like, like you're, you know, when you sit on your foot and you get pins and needles, it was the entire leg. Yeah, and like I, that tingly feeling? Yeah. And so you could feel, like I put my hand on my, and I could feel my fingers were there, but it was like at a distance. It was really, really weird. Um, I hate doctors. And so I didn't tell anybody. And I walked on it for a week falling a couple times. And then I finally fell in front of my ex-husband, my now ex-husband. <clears throat> and um, he said, you got to go to your doctor. And I went to my doctor. I had a knee injury and she, I figured she'd tell me that something happened to my knee. And she said, your knee's fine. Um, I think you have MS and I'm going to send you to a neurologist. And my world exploded because the only thing I knew <laughs> was bad things. I mean, it's all, it's all bad. It's never a good thing to be diagnosed with a progressive disease, but it's all I knew. And, um, I didn't take it very well. Um, I actually went to see my therapist that night. I had a, a group therapy, a women's group, and I told them about it and we hugged and, you know, did whatever we could. And when I came out of the place, I fell again and I sprained my ankle. So I went oh through the gosh. rest of the diagnostic process on crutches and, and with a really screwed up left ankle, ironically, not even the right one, which was ended up as a problem. So it was traumatic in every possible way. Um, usually when they diagnose MS, they'll do a spinal tap, which God, I don't know. I've never had one, thank God, but they tap into your, into your spinal cord to see if they can find something in the fluid that comes out. They thankfully didn't do that. They did MRIs. They did a bunch of other tests. And I'm such an overachiever that I just kept willing myself to beat the test. You know, I'm in an uh, MRI machine thinking, okay, I can do this. I can do this. It'll be fine. And it just wasn't the case. So I, I guess about a month later, I went back 
to see the, the, the neurologist. And she said, good news, you don't have to have a spinal tap. Bad news, you have MS. So at that time, there were about three or four drugs on the market. To, in comparison, there's about 9, 10, 11, 12 now. But the ones on the market were only injections. And there was one that was an infusion, which means once a month you go and they, you know, it's like chemotherapy in that sense. And it had killed a couple people and I was just, I just don't want any of that involvement. Um, and so she gave me all the books and said, read about it, pick a drug, and as soon as possible and let's get you on the drug. That's so that was a lot to take in. <laughs> yeah, that's significant progress um, in the amount of drugs available for MS in just 10 years. Yeah. I mean, it sounds significant to me. It, no, it's, it's hugely, it's, it's, it's great and it's bad in one way. So it's great because there's more choices. It's bad because they're spending the money in pharma coming up with new medications to sort of keep us going because, you know, chronic disease people are a revenue source. <laughs> um, oh, recurring so, revenue, I suppose. Correct. So, I mean, for example, my drug, which is not one of the newer drugs, which is really one of the older drugs, costs about, if I were to pay it out of pocket, about $125,000 a year. And that's one of what? the cheaper ones. Yeah. <laughs> they make a lot of money on us. And they actually just recently, for, for maybe about nine years of my diagnosis, they said that there were 400,000 Americans diagnosed with MS. This year, they finally came out and said it's over a million. I still think that's low. <laughs> yeah, that seems low, but I guess I have no concept of... Yeah, they're making a lot of money off of us. And then, I mean, it, if you follow, Selma Blair was one of the recent celebrities that got diagnosed with it. And she's in some very terrible shape. And she actually, there's some very extreme treatments you can go on. I, this one, I think, was actually stem cell. There's a lot of stem cell stuff where they pretty much destroy your nervous system, your, sorry, your immune system, and then it comes back in theory. And if you survive it, maybe it'll slow the progression of a disease, but you may not survive it. So that just seems a little risky. <laughs> so not oh for my me. gosh. Yeah. So, but I, like I, I picked a drug, the drug, um, it, it was interferon. There's a couple of different interferons, but it was an interferon based thing that you, you, your body can make it makes interferon. Um, but some people are resistant to it or some people have bad reactions to it. And one of the things is it can elevate your liver enzymes. So after you're on it for a little while, you do blood tests and my liver enzymes were through the roof. And so I guess six months in, she said, nope, nope, new one. And I freaked out because I'd just gotten used to it and you know, got used to the side effects. And it was another injection that I've been on now nine years, eight and a half, nine years. And it's it's a now it's it used to be a daily injection. Now it's a three day a week injection. <clears throat> that's in um I don't ever see the needle, thank God. <laughs> Cause that's another thing. When I got diagnosed, the first thing that went through my mind was there's no possible way that I can inject myself every single day because I can't I'm terrified of needles. <laughs> And that's all they had. So I thought about going to some of the oral medications. My doctor's like, if it's not broke, don't fix it. If you can handle the the shots, stay on the shots. And that's what I'm doing. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I, I can't even imagine. And so I mentioned, you know, some blog posts that you wrote. You wrote a blog post um, at the end of 2019. And I want to read part of it here because I think it's, again, I love your style, but it says... Hi, my name is Eve, and in 2019, my chronic illness progressed. I had to leave my job of 13 years. I turned 50, forgot who I was, and reinvented myself. And I mentioned earlier that like 2019 seems like it was a hell of a year for you. And to me, that 
three was that two or three sentences like kind of captures it um it, does that capture it for you that that am i right in saying it was a hell of a year yeah it was a hell of a year it was it was a hell of a year in retrospect because i think i mentioned later in that in the blog post actually about you ever hear about the frog that's slowly boiling in water and the water isn't hot enough to like you don't feel it until yeah, you're boiled yeah. <laughs> that's what 2019 felt like that suddenly in october september which is when i learned that my job was going to go away I was like, wait, what? <laughs> you know, I'd been there for a very, very long time. I, you know, turning 50 was going to be traumatic enough. Um, you know, getting used to my disease, like every couple of years, it feels like I get used to MS and then it throws me a wrench and then I have to adjust again and then it throws me a wrench. And it was just like all these wrenches were coming at me during the course of the year. And, and it was just, how do you how do you process it other than move on. <laughs> I mean, I, I know that's not the case for a lot of people. I know some people, like I read them on the message boards. Those are the people who don't move on. And I'm not, I've never been that kind of person. So why should the loss of a job or why should the progression of a disease make me different than who I am? It just takes some some time and some hang, put, putting your head down into the darkness, into the muck for a little while and crying for a couple of days and then getting over it and moving on because you have to. I mean, the alternative is, that's what people say to me. God, it's amazing. You know, you're so inspirational, which I can't stand. I sort of hate that. But how do you do it? How do you move on? And my only answer is, what's the alternative? <laughs> if the alternative is to stop, that's not okay. So you have to move on and you have to find a way to do it in in in, in some sense that makes you f- feel good. Um, and it also makes you feel positive. I mean, that's the thing that I learned actually about the job going away, that in retrospect, I could see that it was changing me. And I, you know, and it hadn't before. It hadn't changed me for 12 years, maybe 11, 12 years. And then suddenly this year, it did. And that's kind of when I knew it was time to to go. And it sort of coincided with them saying, yeah, I think you should go. <laughs> um, so it's, you know. I think 2019 has been tough for a lot of people. I, I'm not the only person who wrote one of those stories. A lot of people are like, "It's let's move on. <laughs> let's, let's, you know. I know a lot of people have lost, lost parents this year. A lot of people who have gotten sick this year. A lot of people who have gotten divorced this year. You know, I got all that out of the way a couple of years ago. So it's just you have to move on. That's the only thing you can do to sort of stay positive, I think. You said that when people say you're inspirational, you're not a big fan of that. Why not? Oh, I don't know. I think it's it is it goes back to wondering what my option is otherwise. Um I you know, I've I'm an only child. I was raised by two very professional parents. My dad's a physician, my mom's a teacher. She was actually the head of a Latin department at the at the private girl or girls school I went to. And I've always been sort of type A. So it's like you have to you you succeed. If you don't succeed, you learn something and you move on to the next thing that hopefully you'll succeed in. So failure just wasn't an option in my vocabulary in any way. And then suddenly when shit, excuse me, I don't know if I can curse on your podcast, when suddenly it's not in your control anymore, um, you know, shit gets real (laughs) because I can do is, you know, I can say I'm positive, I'm fabulous, everything's great. And then the disease takes a turn for the worse and suddenly I can't do anything about it. Or as was the case in the job, it wasn't my choice. And 
you know, they did me a favor, but at the time it felt really crappy because it wasn't me saying, okay, I'm moving on to a new gig. It's them saying, we don't want you. So, you know, that's, it's, it's, it's hard. I mean, it's not to say that none of that stuff is, is just, you know, rolls off your back like a duck. Um, But I, I don't like to think of it as inspirational because I think there's a lot of other people who do more exceptional things. There are cancer patients who survive. There's people who survive death of families. There's, you know, there's people in Australia right now who are surviving these terrible fires. And I just, I don't think my stuff measures up to that. I just keep on going. Yeah. But, but keeping on going is, I think that's, that's pretty inspirational (laughs) in itself. I mean, especially, I mean, you have, you know, a degenerative, degenerative chronic illness. I mean, that's keeping going is, uh, um, fantastically amazing in my eye. You know what I mean? Like, I understand that's all you can do, but right. that's doesn't mean it's easy, right? Nope. Nope. And I won't, I won't ever say it's easy. Um, what has happened with the MS is I get too comfortable <laughs> in the very beginning. I really didn't have a whole lot of, it didn't impact me that much. It was, you get over, it's like, okay, well, I'm still standing support groups. I actually went to a support group of, of professional women and they're all still standing. They're all still working. I'm like, all right, it's, it's, you don't get in a wheelchair immediately. Your life's not over. Um, each when you say that, still standing, you're, you're saying yeah. literally still standing. Literally. Eventually you might not be able to stand as well as you can today. I hope, I hope that's not the case. Um, right now I walk with a cane, um, mostly because my, my right leg, my right foot and my right leg are weak. So if I don't use an aid, um, I worry I'm going to fall. And I have fallen a couple of times and it, it's not fun. Um, to walk long distances, however, I'm already using a mobility scooter, which has saved my life, but took me years and years and years to sort of admit that I, I needed it, <laughs> you know, but I live in an area that's, uh, it's, it's a suburban area of DC is actually Silver Spring, Maryland, and it's, it's considered quote unquote walkable. But if you can't walk for long distances, that doesn't do you any good. So when I couldn't really drive anymore because of my foot, this, the scooter became something that was like, all right, if I'm going to leave my apartment at all, I've got to do something. And so I have a little cart on the back of it. There's a Whole Foods three blocks away. You know, my whole life is a couple blocks away and I can take it with me. Um, something I've discovered, Google's amazing for finding things, whether, you know, I don't want to look at the forums and stuff, but I said there had to be some sort of handicapped Uber because I used Uber a lot to get around. And sure enough, there is. It's not one for Lyft, but there's one for Uber. It's called Uber Wave, wheelchair accessible vehicles. And they are um, vans. They are side entry vans with a ramp. And you can take a wheelchair, you can take a a mobility scooter, and you just ride right into it. And then you can sit in it or you can sit in the chair like a regular person, which I like. Um, Because before what I was doing is I was taking the scooter to places and it would come apart. My scooter comes apart in like five pieces. And so it was like, oh, I don't have to take my scooter apart anymore. I can go anywhere. That's great. So, so yeah, it's finding those little things. But, but every time I would get comfortable, something would happen. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, God, there's another relapse. Um, one of the things they treat you for, you, you get a treatment for relapses. It's called um, steroids. It's solomedrol. Um, and if you've ever had prednisone, ever had oral prednisone? I don't believe so. Okay. So it's a steroid. But pregnizone is known to sort of make you crazy. 
Um, and usually like the pills, the oral prednisone are like 10 milligrams per pill and you'll take like six pills and then you'll go down to five and four. This is a thousand milligrams in an IV, three to five days in a row. Wow. And, and right. And, and I sort of liked it because I, I was a superwoman. <laughs> I thought I could do anything. All the pain was gone. My, all the, everything went away. I, you know, I thought I could regrout my kitchen and I didn't even have grout in my kitchen. It was just like, you're just going. And then they give you what they call a taper, which is the oral prednisone. And it was like, I hit a wall and my, ironically, my eyesight's fine until I take um, oral steroids and then I can't see. <laughs> so it's like not doing, I did that twice. Like in, in 10 and a half years, I've done two of those treatments and I'll never do it again because, you know, it, it's not worth it. You know, maybe it makes you feel better, but it's a week of the meds. It's a week and a half to recover from it. And it's like, you might as well just sort of suck it up and you know, it's going to go away. Um, relapse, just so I, I can be clear, relapses are what they, what, it's actually inflammation in your brain or in your spinal cord. So imagine like you have a nerve and there's one area that they actually call demyelinated, which means that the coating of the nerve has been eaten away by the disease. And something gets in there and it just sort of makes it inflamed and red. And that's what a relapse is, is something happens. Um, you can actually get mini relapses. For me, I'm heat sensitive. So if I go out and I get overheated, I'll get what's called a pseudo relapse. And all those little aerials will get activated and I can't walk or I can't think. <laughs> just, so I just get into Ooh. air conditioning and then it goes away. Yeah. So, you know, but again, you learn, you learn all these things. You learn all these tricks. Um, you know, kind of becomes you learn part to of listen normal to, life. Yeah. And you learn to listen to your body. I never, I was really bad at that. And I was, I don't want to say that I was given this disease so that I'd slow the hell down. But part of me thinks that you know, I don't believe in, I'm Jewish, but I don't believe in sort of God as God. I think there's a universal something out there. And I was always type A. I was always pushing too hard. I wasn't listening to my body. And this disease requires you to do that. So uh, I don't want to say it's a good thing, but it's certainly a, a lesson to come away from it saying, okay, well, if your body says you need to nap, you should nap. <laughs> you have to go to bed early. If you don't do, you know, instead of seeing going out in the afternoon and then going out to a movie and then doing something else and staying up late, instead of doing that, you do one of those things. It's just, it's just taking a long time to learn that. I think it's, I think that's a really keen observation that maybe, this did force you to listen to your body more and maybe you felt like you hadn't before that. The The one thing in that passage I read earlier, you wrote, uh, you forgot, uh, I turned 50, forgot who I was and reinvented myself. I'm so curious, what did you mean by you forgot who you were? Oh, that's less about MS and it's more about work. Um, so I mentioned I was a designer and I was the only designer at this company for a very long time. And about a year and a half ago, um, someone came in above me. And I was actually pretty excited. I guess it was it was naive. I was pretty excited because she was also a designer. And so I thought that we could collaborate and it would be a lot of fun and we'd work together. Um, she actually ended up – this is another thing about being grateful. She ended up, after being there for two weeks, being diagnosed with lung cancer. And had to have half her lung taken out and, and chemo and, and radiation oh, and all wow. these things. Right. And I, you know, I was like, I'm just going to be there for you. You know, I don't know you, but I don't wish that on anybody. So we're just going to get 
get shit done. And then she came back and I was still in sort of the get shit done mode. And I think I stopped thinking about leading at a certain point. And I'd always, I've always been that way. And I just sort of said, well, it's a good job. I like the people. I, it's a, it was a company that, that did digital um, marketing and websites for nonprofits, for progressive nonprofits. And I liked our mission and the people I worked with, we all had the same values. So I'm like, I'm just, I'm here for a reason. They let me work from home. They've been supportive through my getting diagnosed. They've been supportive through divorce. They've been supportive through everything. So I'm just going to put my head down and get the work done. And that was the mistake. That's where I stopped being me. And I didn't realize it at the time. She came back sort of, I, I think that if she hadn't gotten sick, this would have come to a head sooner. Had come to the head previous year, but she and I clearly didn't get along with each other. She was in a mode where she wanted to constantly criticize me when I, I just didn't understand why. I, maybe again, I'm naive. I'm too old to be naive, but I'm pretty naive. And and she um, she treated me like a student. She treated me like a child. And she was 15 years younger than I am. So so here I am with a millennial. That's why my Gen X podcast is is I'm really into it because I'm like, oh god, a millennial. Um, I wanted to, to feel for her and I wanted to think, okay, well, maybe she's just doing her job, but I just don't think she was a very nice person when it came down to it. And I let her have the upper hand on me. And that bothered me because that's, I wouldn't have done that before. And I guess I figured I stopped being me because I, I wanted to take what I could get. They were nice to me. You know, it's like an abused child or abused wife at a certain point. Well, it doesn't beat me every day. <laughs> so, you know, I just, I'll just, oh, today wasn't so good. Tomorrow might be better. And that kind of bargaining shouldn't ever happen. It shouldn't happen in your professional life, but it shouldn't happen in your personal life. And it made me sick. <laughs> I had, I had headaches all the time. Um, I didn't want to go to work, even though for me, work was literally 10 feet from, you know, I have a home office. Um, I, I just didn't want to do it anymore. But they were so nice to me. So, of course, I had to be. And I just realized finally when things were going south, I had a little bit of a heads up that the company was going south. But when things changed for me and the axe fell, I was furious. But there was a relief because I'm like, all right, well, I can stop pretending. And let's try and figure out outside of this company who you are. You know, my, my identity had been so wrapped up with this company for 13 years. And I think that was really great for a while, but over the last year, and, and then ironically, I don't know, I probably can't say this, but ironically about a month after I left, they were sold. <laughs> so they were changing and that was changing me. And I couldn't, I couldn't tolerate that. So it was, it all happened, you know, all this transformation sort of happened at the end of the year. I left them the 3rd of October and I started my company a couple of weeks after that, sort of just because I needed to work. <laughs> um, but now I'm actually into 2020. I'm thinking I'm going to go for it. I'm going to, you know, I have a website. I've got my logo. I got my LLC almost there. I'm going to see what happens. And the thing that had kept me from doing it for about a year, year and a half was health insurance. <laughs> um, because it's, it's terrifying to have a chronic disease. You have to have medic, you have to have insurance with a chronic disease. There's no question. Um, I didn't want to go on the exchanges. I didn't want to do any of that. And then when you leave a company, they give you COBRA for 18 months. And I'm like, okay, 18 months. Let's, let's let them, you know, I have to pay them for it, but all right, I'll get my insurance through them for 18 months. 
So that freed me up considerably. And so suddenly I'm not stuck in that job anymore. Yeah, I've got MS, but that's not going to change. <laughs> Just sort of steal yourself for it. Turn 50, new life. You know, life has to happen at some point, and I'd been delaying it for too long. So it's a new year. It's a new decade for the world. It's a new decade for me. So I'm going to cross my fingers and hope for the best. <laughs> Absolutely. And you you mentioned that you when you left the job that you all of a sudden discovered you maybe didn't realize what your identity was anymore and you started to learn more about who you were. What, what did you learn? Like, what did you learn about your identity? Who were you? I think what I learned at least afterwards is I was, I was better at my job than she made me think. And I, and I let her make me think that I didn't know what I was doing. The, the strange thing is, so she was 15 years younger than I am. And at a certain point, I think it might've been while we were negotiating my exit, she actually said to me, I just want you to know how impressed I am that you are self-taught and you got this far. So congratulations, good on you. And I just went, I was on the phone. I just went to slap her across the face. Cause I mean, I got into the industry, the web industry when there was no web industry. So we had no training. You know, I have a, a master's of fine arts in theatrical lighting design and I have a bachelor's in philosophy. So, you know, Everybody who started the web industry came from someplace, someplace else. And, you know, that's how I learned. Maybe it's a Gen X thing too, that I just, you know, I just learned to to learn it myself. I'm not going to go to school for it. I'm not going to get a degree for it. I'm not going to get a trophy for it. You just do it. And I stopped doing that. And so when I realized that, it's like, okay, I got to start, you know, learning something new. I, you know, you never have, you never stop. If you stop learning, you stop living. Um, and ironically, podcasting is one of those things that sort of got me back to life because it's something I've thought about. I didn't know anything about it. I mean, anything that's related to design, I can fake like animation or, I mean, I can fake it, but audio is entirely different as you know. Um, so I bought some books. I bought a microphone on Black Friday, a boom arm went on sale. <laughs> I bought that and I just sort of said, I'm going to learn something new. And see where it takes me. And really, at the end of it all, I realized what what I try to do as a as a professional and as a human is tell stories, in one way or another. And if that's going to be through design, if that's going to be through through audio, if that's going to be through writing, as long as there's a story to tell, I'd like to tell it. And I'd totally forgotten that. You know, this this person had made me feel like I was worthless, that I because I wasn't trained. I was, you know, she came out of a school with a degree in this stuff. Well, I don't. I te I've taught people who get degrees in, in web design and I don't have one myself. So I learned that that don't believe other people. I believed her for a long time because she was so persistent about it. And nobody came to my defense. That's the other piece of it that um, bothered me, that I was hoping that somebody would step in and say, stop that. Don't be so mean to her. And they didn't. So... You have to take it on yourself, just like with your health. You've got to take control of your health. And you can't just sort of say, all right, well, whatever the doctor says is right. Well, doctor may not be right. Or maybe there's another doctor. Or maybe you ask questions at your appointment that they didn't think about. So, you know, at a certain point, I realized I had to take control. And I I ceded that control to other people. And that's not who I am. So, but it's a, it is a fine line between being a control freak, which I am, <laughs> 
and understanding that you are not in control of everything and knowing what you fight for and what you don't. You know, I can't stop the progression of MS. I can do a couple things to try and slow it, but I certainly can stop someone from treating me like shit. Yeah, it's that idea of concentrating on the things that we do have control over and not stressing out over the things we don't. I forgot, there's some saying I heard recently along those lines, but it's something I thought about too that I don't think I'm a control freak to to the extreme, but I, I do think I enjoy being able to orchestrate my own, you know, destiny, my own environment to the best of my ability. And I, I do feel like when those situations arise where it's something that I either have little or maybe no control over, it's hard not to get frustrated out over yeah. that. Like it's so hard to just say you literally can't do anything about it like just saying that sentence i'm always thinking no there's always something i can do <laughs> right yeah but it's also it it's a it's a combination i think of age for me i mean when i was 30 i, I was crazy i mean i was just impossible to deal with because i was so high strung i guess is the word for it <laughs> um and the pressure like i lived on the pressure and i wanted things to be perfect and I know that you can't, it's never going to be perfect. Or or your definition of perfect changes over time because perfect can be, I'm going to nap today. That's perfect. You know what I mean? But when you're younger, you don't you don't see that. And I'm, I'm sort of annoyed that you have to A, get older and B, potentially have some sort of trauma to see it. It would be really cool if you didn't. Um, but it is what it is. So, you know, there's a fine balance between being Totally, totally, I have to control everything in my life. And then the opposite, which is, well, I have no control, so I'm just going to go with the flow. So it's it's finding where, I'm not going to say where it's comfortable, because sometimes things, the best things happen when you're uncomfortable, but finding where you can tolerate and you can survive pretty much and thrive to some degree. I mean, you're not going to, you're not going to thrive every day. You're not going to be in survival mode every day, but you're, you know, notice when your day is good. I do that now too. I used to not. Before I got diagnosed, it was like, okay, whatever. But now I notice when I'm feeling good. It's like, this is a good day. I know it's going to change. This is a good day. And then you sort of say, okay, cool. Let's mark that as the top. <laughs> and uh, when it's down again in the basement, I'll remember there's going to be a top again. But you know that takes time, unfortunately, to learn that. I love that though. And I relate to that so much, the, that idea of listening you mentioned earlier listening to your body but almost listening to and understanding your emotional roller coaster you know understanding i've seen myself do this this year if if i all of a sudden i'm starting all of a sudden i'm starting to feel sad or um let down you know understanding what what caused that like why am i starting to have this mood shift and the same like you said if it's a high note and things are, you know, I'm really excited right now or feeling really well. Like what what led to that and understanding and almost being able not to predict, but to to understand as you go on that roller coaster why you're about to go up or down a hill. And um I it's definitely something I've paid so much more attention to. And to be honest, I never had in my life. I never thought you could <laughs> understand why you feel a certain way. I mean that I guess sounds silly, but I really didn't even understand that. It's it comes with age. It comes with things that happen. I mean, I I lived a pretty, I'd say, easy life for a, a while. Um, 
But after I got diagnosed, a lot of things happened. There was the health issue. Um, I had two uh, beautiful dogs, um, Bernie's Mountain Dogs. They were they were twins and they were pair bonded. And I adopted them. My husband, my ex husband, and I adopted them. And they lived eight eight and a half years. And and one got sick. He got cancer. And it was terrible when he had to be put down. And then his sister died a month later because she couldn't be without him. And and I was like, whoa, okay, that's bad enough. And then that started the decline of my marriage. Um, ironically, the way that my marriage broke up was because my ex-husband came out as transgender. <laughs> you know, it starts to sound like a country song after a while, like you need a broken down truck you know, diagnosed with MS and your dogs die and your husband wants to become a woman. Um, there was just, there, there was no other solution but to come out of it. And so those, you know, that was, I guess I got divorced. I, I moved out in 2014. So I've been on my own now for about five years, a little over five years. And those five years have been sort of a, a I don't know, looking, taking stock. You know, who am I? I'm happier now that I'm not married. I'm still sad because I lost my dogs. I'm more resilient, you know, you're talking about resilience in this podcast. I'm more resilient because of this disease. And you sort of, you know, like you said, take stock of of what's the highs and what's the lows. Um, hope not to go back to some of those lows, but, you know, I'm, I, things I worry about, my parents, my father is about to be 82, my mother is 77, and they're still in good shape. My dad has has an issue with his leg, but I've had friends who've lost parents, and I know that's the next trauma. I know it. And I'm not ready for it, but I know that's coming. So I can never prepare for it, but I've got to find a way to be strong enough in myself that when things happen, they don't destroy me. Because <laughs> there's been a lot of things. Any one of those things that I just mentioned could have destroyed anybody. Oh, I, I was just going to say, I mean, these are, you know, you go down that list of what <laughs> could be a country song, um, although I love <laughs> country music. Um <laughs> Yeah, like you said, any one of those could knock someone down and they might not get back up. Yeah. And my gosh, the thought of, I mean, obviously, I interviewed someone recently, um, Robin May, and she, uh, one of the quotes from her interview struck me. She said, you know, th there's a 100% chance of us dying. Right, um, <laughs> right. And, you know, I never thought about it that way. So, I mean, obviously, that goes for us and our parents, but what an unsettling Mm -hmm. you know, feeling like knowing that they're approaching, you know, the average human ex life expectancy. And, you know, you, like you said, you, obviously, you know, one day they are going to pass away and it's going to be a trauma. And just thinking like that it might be coming up, that's, I'm just getting a little like shaky thinking about that. That's, I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's, it's, oh, don't be so sorry. So many of my no. friends have lost their parents this year and in the last couple of years, actually. So it's really top of mind for you. Yeah, it is. And and it's a, we're going to do a podcast, actually. My co-host, I guess 10 years ago at this point, she lost her mother. And so, I mean, Sasha's my age. She's 50. So at 40, she lost her, her mother. And I I cannot imagine that. And no. during that, I was married and with my ex-husband, I was with him for over 17 years. Um, and my relationship with my parents deteriorated during that time. So it's hard not to look back and say, oh, shit. I should have spent more time in times that they were better in better shape and I was in better shape. We could have, should have done stuff together, but you can't, if you go back there, you just will never get out of it. So I have to try and think oh, about it. And, and they've been very positive. You know, I used to, I, I joke that the best way to get along with your mother as you age is to get a divorce. <laughs> um, <laughs> because, you know, my mom and I, my dad and I were always tight, but my, you know, 
single, uh, I'm an only child, I'm a daughter, Jewish family. Mother-daughter things are tricky. So, but I, we have never gotten along as well as we have for the last five years. So I, I'm I'm grateful that, that it happened. I mean, that's that's another thing too when we talk about resilience that just every day you have to live <laughs> because if you, you know, okay, maybe one day you you sleep a little bit more or you don't pay as much attention. But life is just way too freaking short for everybody, whether it's you, whether it's your family, whether it's your friends. I Unfortunately, I had a friend who died tragically in a, in a car accident at this point. I think it was seven years ago. It was just sudden. And she was my age. And it was just like, how, how does that happen? So, you know, anyone can get hit by a bus any single day. It's not, maybe it's a very sad way to think about it. But if you can make it positive and say, just enjoy as much of your life as you can. You don't win anything by being negative. I like that. You don't win anything by being negative. What a great way to think about it. Like we're all going to be here. I mean, hopefully we're all here tomorrow. So (laughs) why not be positive here tomorrow (laughs) instead of negative? I'd like to think that it's, it's interesting. One of the, I've been obsessed with ampersands, you know, the, 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 the and sign. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really, because I'm a designer, it's a beautiful mark. It's a beautiful graphic. Like if you on every font that you get, there's a different kind of ampersand and some of them are fancy and some of them are curly and some, so I've always loved it. And there's ampersands all over my apartment. And it really wasn't until a lot of that stuff happened with my ex and with my dogs and with MS that I realized what it really meant to me. Cause people kept asking, it's like, why do you have all these, these ands in your apartment? And I realized that cause it's positive, you know, it's not an or it's not a minus. If you think about an ampersand is additive. It's joining things together. Correct. And it's 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 you, you never end a sentence if you have an and because it's like this and that and. So maybe I'm reaching <laughs> and maybe that has nothing to do while I like it because I just think it's really pretty. But it it from that point on it started to mean a lot more to me that an ampersand is, is some sort of symbol of positivity. And I've thought about getting a tattoo of one, um, but I'm just scared of getting tattooed. So I don't think that's going to happen. I'm right there with you. I'm kind of the <laughs> same way. Like you mentioned about the needles. I'm terrible <sighs> with needles in a medical setting, but to ask someone to actually just come into my skin and purposely get me with it, like I, I'm, I'm such a baby. <laughs> yeah, no, I am too. I did get, um, there's a couple of great temp tattoo places you can design your own. And then they'll send it to you and you can just stick them on and they last for like a week or two. And so I designed a bunch oh, of different ampersands. Yeah. And, and they, look, they look terrific. Um, so I did it. I put it on, on a place that I thought would be cool and I, I wore it to work and people are like, oh, you got some new ink. I'm like, no, no. But I'm glad you like. I'm glad you think it is, you know, and then you have to take it off eventually. But um, yeah, I'm too much of a pussy to actually get a tattoo. <laughs> Yeah, I think my pain tolerance is too low. <laughs> <laughs> Unless it's really, really tiny. Um, maybe it's like, you know, people do those tiny things in their wrists or they do like a little symbol someplace. But I just, I don't know. When I was, right before I was 40, because I was diagnosed at 39, I was like, oh my God, when I'm 40, if I've survived a year of needles, I'm going to get, I'm going to get a tattoo. And <laughs> came and went, too scared, not doing it. Oh, so. even after that, you didn't. You still didn't uh, overcome it. I don't blame well, you. I wouldn't be able to either. It's it's that fear. There's two fears. There's that fear, and my mother would kill me. Ah, <laughs> uh. 
And and I just, you know, I thought, oh, maybe I'll put it someplace where she couldn't see. It's like, you know what? I, I have lived this long without inking my body. Plus in Judaism, there's there's a connotation of inking your body, less so with the younger generation, but with my mother's generation and the generation ahead of them, that's what they did in the Holocaust. So in very conservative Jewish cemeteries, oh, you cannot wow. be buried with a tattoo because of that. But I mean, it's actually because of Jewish law, but because of the Holocaust, they had to let older people be buried because it wasn't their choice. So, I mean, there's a lot of stuff wrapped up in that, that I just, you know, I, I'll get a sticker on every once in a while. I'll play with it. Yeah. I mean, that brings a whole new meaning. I never even thought of that. And now I'm yeah. like, yeah, maybe it's good that you didn't get a tattoo. Yeah. <laughs> I want to ask you about um, Madonna's Lucky Star music video. <laughs> I I get the sense that the first time you saw this music video in the 80s really affected you. Did it? Yeah, it did. Uh, um, How did it affect so you? Ma- so I guess I was about when Madonna, when Lucky Star came on, I think I was 13 or 14 years old, um, maybe 13. And I never fit in at school. And I went to a private girls school that had uniforms. <laughs> And none of the uniform, it never looked good on me. You know, you're a chubby little girl. Everything looked lumpy. It just didn't look right. And all the other girls seemed perfect and smart. And, and I was, I felt like I was none of those things. And then suddenly I was home from school one day and this video came on. And I'm looking at this girl and she doesn't give a shit. She's dressed how she wants to be. She's not skinny. She's not the best dancer. She's a good singer, whatever, but I couldn't t- take my eyes off of her because she sort of said, I am me and I don't give a shit what anyone else thinks. And that was a turning point for me because suddenly I'm like, oh, it's okay. I'm not going to be, actually, there'd be valedictorian, but I'm not going to be perfect. I'm not going to be that tall, blonde, beautiful gazelle that I play in field hockey all the time. I'm going to be who I am. And that gave me some freedom to say, not only am I who I am, but I'm going to be different and actually enjoy being different because she did. So, you know, it was a little copycat, but I mean, I don't know how old you are, but back in the 80s, the Madonna wannabes, it was a ton of them. It was Madonna wannabes and Cyndi Lauper wannabes. And both of them had the same thing that sort of, I think, drove the girls at the time, which was different and free. And that's that's what that made me feel. Um, and, and interestingly, I guess about three years ago, 2016, no, yeah, um, was my 25th college reunion, which was weird enough as it was. But at the party, they played 80s music, which was amazing. And I'm there, but I have my scooter and everyone's dancing. And I just, I just didn't feel like I could, I, I disrupt them. I couldn't do it. And then Lucky Star came on. And it was like, okay, that's a signal. That's a reason to get up. You know, I had my Doc Martens. I kept the same Doc Martens from when I was in college. And it's like, okay, there's a reason that that came on. That means everything to me. And they're like, come on over. And they moved towards me and we danced together for the rest of the night. It was just that freedom. It was just that don't forget that that's who you are. Other things can happen. You can get a cane. You can get a scooter. You can get older. (laughs) You can get all those things. But remember at the core that you are someone who doesn't give a shit what other people think. That meant a lot. Eve, that is a scene out of a movie, I swear. Like, <laughs> I'm just, in my head, I'm just picturing it. A little bit of slow motion. 
It was it was awesome too because the they were so there was a dance floor and they were in the far corner and I was in the other corner with my boyfriend and with my scooter, and they're like, "Oh, come dance with us, come!" I'm like, "No, no, no." And then and then the song came on and they came over and they're like, "We're gonna carry you if you don't get up and walk over there." I'm like, "Okay, okay, we're going, we're going." <laughs> but it was like a movie because it was like, "Okay, there's that's there's that scene <laughs> that you know the the." middle-aged woman hears the music of her youth and suddenly she's alive again. But it, it music does that to me. And actually the eighties were a period of time that was probably bad for a lot of people. But for me, it was coming out of my shell and I, you know, I didn't have a lot of boyfriends because it was a private girl's school. Fine. I went online and I met people, you know, I've always found a way and nothing sort of kept me down for too long. And when when stuff gets bad now, I think about that saying nothing's ever stopped you before. So take a breath and, you know, feel what you have to feel for a period of time. Don't, don't linger in it too long and then pick your shit up and go again, try again and know you'll be down again. So it's, I don't know. I know maybe it's a philosophy. Maybe it's (laughs) self-preservation because if I don't think that way, any one of those things could destroy a person. And I, I'm not up for letting other people, other things take control over what I should own kind of thing. Yeah. I love that. That drive you have. I mean, you have that, you know, like you said earlier, the only option we have is to move forward is to keep pushing on. And I mean, you can just hear it in your voice, um, but in a very friendly way, like it's not a very, you know, commanding, uh, intimidating way, but a very, friendly almost you know grab my hand and we will pursue <laughs> we will persevere through this together um that's amazing maybe it's maybe it's because i think that naivete actually has a lot to do with it i don't you know it's gotten me into a lot of trouble but i also i think i expect i i assume the best until the worst presents itself um and i i have found and it's another thing i noticed when i was at my reunion all of my friends we were all in theater when we were in college in some ways, a lot of people were, you know, I was a philosophy major. I was going to go to law school and thank God I didn't. But a lot of us have stayed in the arts to some degree or stayed creative. And you could see it on everyone's face. And then we went to the party, which were the people I didn't know. And suddenly it's like, whoa, who let the old man on the floor? Like, oh my God. And you're like, oh, he became a lawyer. Oh, that's why. <laughs> he's lost his will to live. He's made a lot of money, but he's not a person anymore. So I think that that's something, a positive attitude will go a long way. You know, I don't know if it's been scientifically proven, but if you feel terrible and you approach the world in a negative point of view, it'll come back to you. And, you know, I don't want to say that, that feeling bad and, and approaching the world in a bad way is going to mean you're going to have bad health or bad love life or bad work. But if you can be positive, why not? So that's kind of where I start. And when shit gets bad, I mean, I still get pissed. I still get angry. I was, my God, I was so furious when I left my company. I was hurt and furious and all those stages of grief that you go through. Um, and and my dear mother, she's like, oh, well, how did she put it? Something about my my former boss's lung cancer. She's like, well, I'm glad she's she's recovered. But you know, that comes back and eventually kills you. <laughs> Oh, jeez. Like, oh, <laughs> I know. For my, my ex-husband, she was like, oh, yeah, he's moved to Florida. Oh, I hope he gets skin cancer and dies. Like, oh, shit, no. 
<laughs> no, 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 no. Can't, I mean, it's a very, it's, I hate to say it's very Jewish, but it is. Um, you know, Jews, Jews expect the worst and are happy when the best happens. And, and there's, a, there's a truth to that. Because if you don't expect anything, you're always happily surprised. <laughs> but I'd rather start from a point of not being constantly upset and constantly sad or alternatively constantly a shithead to other people. And I do believe in karma. I, 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 the person who let me go, some point karma will come. I don't know in what form, but some point karma will come. I know that. Same thing with my, my divorce. He and I split on the best of possible terms because there was no reason to be crappy about it. And things came to light later, but it's retrospect. So I can put my head on the pillow at night knowing that I've done my best, even though people disagreed with me. They're like, oh, my God, you should go for the throat. And my my lawyer was like, oh, my God, you know, it's it's abandonment because he's changing genders. I'm like, it's just, there's no value in bringing someone else down. So if I can spend the, the rest of my life trying to lift other people up, even if it's just one person, I'm okay with that. I'm just writing that down. There's no value in bringing <laughs> someone else down. I love that. There really, I mean, it isn't. If you think about it, I mean, a lot of people will, I think it's one of the reasons that I went into business for myself these days, right now. I mean, who knows what's going to happen. But the thought of going to another agency that had that cutthroat mentality, that's one of the reasons I loved where I worked because it was an agency without that. And when that started to creep in, it surprised me and I, I was in denial about it. And then at the end of it, it's like, oh, they're just as shitty and cutthroat as everyone else. So why surround yourself with people like that? At least this way, I, to some degree, I control my own world. I'll still deal with shitty people. I'll still deal with shitty clients and all that. But why would you knowingly either put yourself in a position to deal with other people or become one of those people? I'm just not, I'm not down with that. Me either. <laughs> Eve, thank you so much for, for taking the time to join me today. This has been, I love this conversation. I love you. I love everything that we've talked about and just that that message you stand for, uh, especially what you were just saying about being positive and there's no point in being negative. Um, I'm such a believer in that. So thank you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate this. Of course. Thank you so much for having me on. This was a lot of fun. This is actually the first time I've ever done a podcast other than my own. So that's pretty cool. Thanks for listening to We're Only Human. Please subscribe to the podcast in your favorite podcast app, rate and review us, and share this episode with a friend. Thanks.